Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Inch by inch, row by row. Gonna make this start grow. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. It's Rosie on the house, your outdoor living hour. And it is the third Saturday of the month. We've got Jay Harper in talking this month, if you're following along in your home maintenance calendar, winter lawn transition. And if you'd like to join the conversation and ask your question about your landscape or garden, it's one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Text questions can be sent to 411-923, or you can email us at info at rosieonthehouse.com. And we've got uh, the winter lawn transition, but, you know, we may be a little early. I've it's mine's beautiful. Uh, we've got a nice, cool, mellow temperature down a few degrees from previous weeks. I'm, I'm hoping to get another four to six weeks out of mine. Well, it it, it kind of depends on what your plans are. I was thinking about this yesterday when I saw that you know kind of looked again at the topic, and so if I'm having a graduation party in maybe mid-May or sometime in May or a wedding or a you know, something like that. I'm probably trying to keep that winter lawn going, like you said, another four to six weeks. Well, how do we do that? We're probably going to have to kick the water up. You know, it's 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 still a little bit on the warm side for winter lawns to, you know, they need some adjustment. So mid-90s, um, they probably need a little more water than you were watering them earlier in the winter. Maybe raise the mowing height. Don't mow it quite so short. Feed it one more time. That probably stretch you out, you know, until you need to be. If, however, you don't have any reason for your lawn to look magnificent through May, I would begin the process. I would. I would not. I would kind of do the opposite. I would not increase the. Excuse me. Increase the watering. I would kind of hold it at at, at what it is. I wouldn't turn it off, but I would just not give any extra water, I would probably start the process of lowering my mowing heights a little bit. <clears throat> so that, you know, sometime along about Mother's Day, when we very typically get maybe that first few hundred degree days in a row, you know, knock on wood, maybe we won't. <laughs> uh, it's been a pretty nice spring. <clears throat> it has. I'll take this spring. I remember a lot of hundred degree marches. <clears throat> Oh, absolutely. This has been a nice spring. And when it does that, it forces the trend. You don't have much choice. That ryegrass starts pooping out, and there really isn't much you can do. But, you know, we've, we, we have been fortunate. We could have used a fair amount more moisture. But temperature-wise, this is pretty ideal growing conditions for, you know, ryegrass, other than it needs a little more water than it did. You know, it was 50... Mid fifties on my way in here this morning, mm-hmm. so Bermuda really doesn't start cranking until those lows get you know in the mid sixties. So we got a ways to go from that standpoint. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would kind of just play it by ear, depending on what you're going to do. But it's certainly not too early, and really, if you're going to transition it, you want to start earlier rather than later, um, unless, like I said, you've got. 50 people coming in your backyard, um, you know, sometime in May uh, for Mother's Day or graduation, then you probably want to keep it going a little bit longer. 
The problem with stretching it out into May and June is that if we let that ryegrass hang on, which uh, invariably it seems to these days, you know, the, the dormant Bermuda can only stay alive for so long or dormant for so long before it starts dying. And then typically the scenario is we get into about late June or early July and we have those those first influx of kind of tropical moisture and the nighttime temperatures don't cool off, you know, and we have those hot nights or warm nights and boom, the ryegrass dies and people think they're my lawn's dead. Well, yeah, the ryegrass finally died. And the problem is then there's there's no underlying Bermuda that's still viable. It has to start filling in from places that are. And it can be a pretty ugly, long, drawn-out process if you let it kind of happen that way. So whether you do it, start doing it now or sometime get through your holiday parties, your graduation parties in May and start doing it then, the, the earlier you can push that ryegrass out, the better off you're going to be come, you know, end of June, early July with having some Bermuda that's coming back at a rapid rate. So that's, you know, this is, this is also a great time. Part of the transition would be checking your irrigation system. You know, hasn't been that critical all winter. Um, so you want to make sure that, you know, the heads are popping up and spraying where they should be spraying and they're in good working order uh, you know, you don't have breaks and leaks and, you know, all those kinds of things because it's, you know, it's kind of like waiting till it rains to check your roof or waiting till it's 100 degrees to check your sprinkler system is about the same results. And, you know, not quite as devastating economically, but it could be. You know, you lose a couple of big mature trees or half your lawn because your irrigation system's not working right. And we, you know, we tend to be creatures uh, of convenience, right? So we have this timer that sits out there somewhere and, uh, you know, we just think that takes care of everything. Well, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And uh, even if they're working, if the underground piping and the delivery mechanisms aren't working properly, you know, then you're going to have a problem. So, you know, it's amazing how many people don't know how to run their own irrigation controller. That would be the first thing I'd do is learn how to do that yourself. Now, we've talked about aerating and dethatching, and it seems like the best practice for that has changed over the last decade or so. Well, um, it, it's certainly great things to do. I mean, dethatching maybe doesn't need to be done every year, but we, we used to see people do a lot of dethatching when they put their winter lawns in in the fall. And, and we've come to, to kind of realize that's not such a great idea. Um, <clears throat> you, you don't want to damage that uh, Bermuda grass or warm season grass right before it wants to go dormant. It needs to be storing up. Uh, nutrients, carbohydrates, those types of things going into the to the uh, uh, dormant season. So we want to disrupt it as little as possible. In fact, we don't recommend even scalping as severely as we did back way back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Man, get it right down to the dirt. You know, get it as low as you can get it. We, you know, do as minimal amount that you can get away with and still get the seed to get down and make contact with with the ground. Um, dethatching should be done when the Bermuda grass has started to grow uh, on an active basis. So again, watch those nighttime temperatures. When we're, when we're in those mid-60s and above, 
then you're pretty safe to go in and dethatch. In fact, dethatching is a great way to help as part of your transition. You know, mow it shorter, dethatch it, get, get some of that ryegrass, get the thatch opened up, get the canopy opened up so sunlight and warmth can make its way down to the roots and the stolons and the rhizomes and get that grass really starting, that Bermuda grass start to cranking. Um, yeah, so, and aerating, you could, you could kind of do any time. Um, certainly going into the warm season is a great time to do it because that's when we need to make sure water is getting some penetration and we're getting some of the soil opened up. So the problem with, with aerifying is that for a homeowner, that piece of equipment is very, very heavy. It has to be, you know, to drive those cores, those, those hollow cores into the ground deep enough to pop a core out. Um, so it's something that you kind of, you know, they generally, if you rent them, they come on a little trailer. You have to be able to pull it. You're not going to lift it up and put it in your trunk, I can <laughs> tell you that. So great idea to do those in combination. If you've got three or four guys in the neighborhood or gals in the neighborhood that you are friendly with, kind of get together and do it all at one time, you know, and uh, help each other out and knock them out. It, it, it's, you know, it's not a hard thing to do. It's just like walking behind a lawnmower. Um, on either one, the, the, the cleanup after dethatching can be, a, you know, a little bit of work depending on how long it's been since you dethatched and how aggressive you are with the dethatchers. In either case, again, getting back to that irrigation system, make sure you mark with a flag or a stake or something every one of your, your, your uh, sprinkler heads. You can go over a sprinkler head with a mower if it's set right, but not a dethatcher. Yeah, no, dethatcher or a core aerifier will just destroy a, a sprinkler head pretty quick. We have a texture that did not plant a winter lawn, only has Bermuda, and wants to know what if there's any special prep they need to do to jumpstart the growing season. Well, you, you can't do what you can't do. It's temperature-driven. But once you see it starting to green up, you know, again, start applying some water um, on a regular basis. It doesn't need it that much now, but it needs some. When it starts to get fairly green, get some fertilizer on it and start your summer feeding program. Um, once it gets going, then dethatching, aerifying, those would be great things to do. We're probably still a, maybe a month away from that. Bermuda's probably greening up a little bit, though. Um, but, yeah, there's no sense fertilizing if it's not actively growing. But once you start to green, see green up, start hitting it. John, in that scenario where we're just bringing the dormant Bermuda back, mm -hmm. when can I hit it with pre-emergent? Because the poana and the spurge is is going to come in right with the Bermuda, right? Yep. When can I pre-emergent? Um, you can pre-emergent anytime. You know, pre-emergent can that be won't done. Help, that won't hurt no. the Bermuda coming in. No. Okay. Only unless you're trying to re – the one caveat to that is if you are – if you have a common Bermuda lawn and you might be thinking about having to reseed some areas, you don't want to do it before you do that. Um, but pre-emergent, we generally, if you were going to pick times, first first part of spring, early fall. You know, that way you catch, you know, the winter weeds if by a fall application, and you catch the spurge and the warm season weeds by, an, by a spring application. You're going to get three to six months out of a, pre-emergent application depending on how much you water and how heavy you apply it. one 767 That's one rosie for you to join the conversation. Your lawn, your lawn. 
The entire first segment, we talked about transitioning to your summer lawn and how to do that. If you are going from a winter rye or if you're going just from a dormant Bermuda. But what if you're just pulling the plug on your lawn all together and you're going low water use, zero scape. 70% of our water use on our homes is outdoors. Obviously, the lawn mm-hmm. can be a, a huge majority of that depending on your layout. And uh, you were just saying you went all a little artificial. Rosie was saying during the break, he cut a thousand feet of lawn out. What? What's the best practice for retiring that lawn completely? Because Bermuda will find a way back if you don't properly it kill it. Well, you need to wait till it's actively growing to kill it. So you're you're a little bit early to try and do an effective eradication of Bermuda grass right now. So the best thing to do is try and get as have the best Bermuda grass lawn you've ever had in your life. Water it like crazy. Feed it. Uh, you know, let it get big and long and then and then hit it with roundup and i like to do that a couple of times hit it with roundup once you think it's dead start watering it again um and then see how much comes back and then hit it again you know take a little time um starting about maybe mid-may it might take you six eight weeks to finally get rid of it all, but you'd be glad you did. There's nothing more miserable uh, than to, you know, either put it put down rock or gravel or artificial turf. It'll grow right up through artificial turf if you do that. Um, so take a little time and do it, but that's the best way to do it. Water it, feed it, get it beautiful and green and long and lush, and then zap it. And uh, like I said, it, it you're probably, you know, month early yet and then once it gets hot and growing have at it and you can check with your local city municipality about rebates i know mesa offers a yep. m- uh, financial incentive to doing it city of scottsdale does none of them are as big as las vegas it was funny when we spent the week there in december mm-hmm. every billboard and radio commercial that wasn't about a casino was about water and killing your lawn <laughs> Well, if you're getting your water out of Lake Mead and you see what's happened to Lake Mead, you'd be a little worried about it, too. <laughs> We've got Chet from Santan on the line. He's called in at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. He's looking for a little help with a raised garden. Welcome to the program, Chet. Thank you. We just uh, a couple of weeks ago put in some raised bed gardens boxes, and we went to uh, Growell Western Organics over in well, I think it's Seventh uh, Avenue and Lower Buckeye or something like that, and got some some planting soil, mm-hmm. and we planted that. But uh, and we did some sets and some seeds. The seeds that have, got, that have come up, the plants are are uh, turning really yellow. The the sets that we put out, we put out a few different types of sets, and um, probably the majority of those are are turning yellow as well. I just and, you know we. We got that soil mix, but I don't know exactly what's in it. And one is there's something that we need to. You don't have a great connection, Chet, but I think what you're saying is you just started a raised well, bed. You went to someplace local, got soil, put it in your raised garden, and your shoots that are coming up from the seeds you planted are kind of yellowing. Is that what you understood, Jay? That, yeah, and that's not uncommon because folks think you can just, you know, you 
throw it's it's new soil it doesn't have any nutrients in it so you still have to add some fertilizer whether it's you know our organic chicken manure based fertilizer or the farm's choice yeah um farm's choice chicken products are awesome you can find them at a lot of local retailers uh, nurseries and garden centers or or you know a conventional whatever you're going to do but that you know that product you bought is probably uh you know got some bark mulch in it maybe some loam and some sand it is a fine soil but it has no nutrient value and sometimes the bark product that's in it is not broken down so that as that breaks down that even takes what nitrogen might be there away from it so you got to add some some fertilizer of some type to that and then keep feeding on a regular basis especially on raised gardens because you're you're leaching it you know it's it, the the water tends to leach out nutrients on a raised garden the more quickly than it does on an in-ground garden uh, and part of the benefit of a raised garden is you've got this soil that's nice and friable and it's easy to plant in but it also drains a lot better and so your nutrients need to be replaced more more quickly and more more regularly so get some fertilizer on it and what's the first thing most people do when they see something yellowing Probably water more, what? <laughs> which, <laughs> which it already might be too. And that might be the other part of the equation is you might be keeping it too wet. Um, so, yeah, that's everybody assumes that something needs more water no matter what the symptoms are. And sometimes that's the problem. But, too much water. Well, yeah. I hope that helps you, Chet, uh, and good luck with your raised garden. Uh, you know, we didn't even talk about it. was even trying to plant the right seeds this time of year. You know, in April in Arizona. Well, in probably the in April, anything you plant right now is going to come up. It's just whether what it's going to do in a month or six weeks from now. Um, you know, per, perfect germination conditions right now for just about anything. It's just whether it will mature and produce any fruit, or or will it go to seed or whatever as it gets hot. Um, but yeah, the big thing in there in Arizona, if you're new to Phoenix, Arizona, is get yourself some type of vegetable garden guide or planting calendar because it's way different here than a lot of places and this is a great time for melons isn't it like if you're doing cantaloupe or watermelon and not even that far off from starting your pumpkins pumpkins a little bit later but melons squashes cucumbers all of those there you go okra loves the heat eggplant and okra if you can find a way to enjoy eggplant i enjoy okra a eggplant might be like composting material. I'll trade you. <laughs> you know, Jay, we don't talk about house plants a lot. I grabbed this article out of the e I don't know, sure we ever have. Yeah. <laughs> In 25 years. <laughs> And, and it was all the list of the great things indoor plants can do, clean indoor air quality, yeah. regulate temperature and humidity, uh, mood enhancement, increase productivity, reduce noise, inexpensive, and joy and beauty. And we've never talked about houseplants. What, other than poinsettias and Christmas trees and <laughs> at Christmas time, what, what good plants, indoor plants, uh, are, are available for Arizona? Well, the thing about indoor is you're creating an artificial climate, so you can do about anything. The problem we have here is we have this thing that we have to turn on here pretty quick called an air conditioner. 
and that sucks all the moisture out of your house. You know, we don't use evaporative cooling, or we do for a short period of time. And dry air, those plants are tropical plants. We're we're calling them house plants. But somewhere where they're growing in nature, they're growing in a very tropical setting. A little humid. Where it's very humid, and it doesn't get super hot, but it doesn't get cold. You know, there's not a big temperature swing. And then they grow in various light conditions. So depending on your light condition would, you know, uh, it may may dictate what you can or can't grow. So some house plants grow in bright light. Some are the plants that are in the jungle that are down there underneath everything, and they're in very dark situations. So, you know, you have to kind of know what your lighting is. Um, you know, is it up against a hot window? Because you do get some, you know, radiated heat sometimes through windows, depending on how good your windows are. Certainly get some sunshine through there. So the, there's a lot of things you can grow here. It's just it's just a little harder question to answer than what will grow here. So I would just probably go into the nursery or garden center and tell them what kind of conditions you have. And, and they can give you a rundown of what the best things are. Some of the really cool Exotic things don't always do so well here because it's we just don't have enough humidity. But, you know, you can artificially induce that by misting the plants and doing some things. But it depends on how hard you want to work at it. If you'd like to ask Jay a question, you can reach us at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you or text to 411-923. And something that might be a little bit uh, easier than indoor plants that I've seen that I really enjoy a couple different uh, properties come to mind is when you walk out in the back, underneath a shaded patio was a succulent garden on mm-hmm. a on a vertical scale. So you had all these different types of of succulents spread out that makes a really nice presentation. And and a lot of succulents make pretty decent either patio plants or semi indoor plants depending on on your lighting conditions. The biggest mistake I see with people with succulents they assume that they are, you know, desert plants. And and most of them are not. Most of them will not take our full hot sun. Um, they need to be in, you know, some filtered sun. They just don't like much water. They like to be pretty dry. But when you see really cool succulent gardens, I think of San Diego <laughs> along the <laughs> beach where they don't get a lot of rain, but they get, you know, filtered, sometimes no sun at all. And you know, there's no need any water, but they, they can't take the heat, and they can't take cold either. So, Well, they're kind of picky. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. They're, Except, they're tough where they do well. You don't have to—if you've got the right spots, you don't have to do much to them. Well, I have um, two containers of elephant food. Is that what you call those little—and uh-huh. that's a succulent, right? Or is it, it? It is, and it's kind of the exception to that. You can't kill that. I have one in the shade and one in the sun, and I have to testify, yes, they both are beautiful. Yeah, yeah it'll, it'll take— I thought it was me. It'll <laughs> take sun, shade, water, no water. It, you know, that's, that's a— It's a happy camper. Elephant, you want elephant food? Mm-hmm. Ele- that's the name of a plant. Yes. Elephant food. It's, you is would recognize it right Africa away. Is region where the elephants Well, the, 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 the botanical name for that is Portulacaria. Afra. Mm-hmm. Oh, so stick Africa. with elephant food then. So it's from, yeah, I, I suppose, I don't know whether elephants actually eat it or not, <laughs> but probably that's the at least the folktale that they do. And it, it is an African native. Well, it's fun to walk around like the desert botanical gardens and find things you like and see what the, yeah. what the little 
mini habitat is that they've created mm-hmm. to make it do well because it is fun to have those. But I think I kill them all by overwatering them. Most likely, yeah. They, you know, they they just don't like much water, but some of them don't like the heat either. So, but that particular one does, and it and it comes in some different. They've hybridized it a lot. There's a green one. There's a variegated one. There's little tiny leafed ones. There's big leafed ones. So you can get a little variety in just with that one. And it'll grow in a hanging basket. It'll grow in a pot. It'll grow on the ground. It, if you wanted to pick one plant to be successful with, that might be the that, one to start. That's your starter one. Yeah. I Build just thought confidence. I was getting it figured out, but it's just an easy plant. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but So you're talking about like a minute ago about the container plants and the raised beds and the pots. And mm-hmm. so the hanging baskets would be the same thing. I never think to fertilize those, but if I did, my baskets would be, probably be even prettier. And there again, you, when any t- anything you're having to water a lot because it's in a smaller container and hanging baskets are hanging up in the air, drying out pretty quickly, especially as we warm up, you need to replace nutrients, you know, in kind of correlation with how often you're having to water something. Now, what is the desert cactus that's in bloom about this time of year? It's real pink. It's like the hedge. Hedgehog? Hedgehog. Mm-hmm. That's uh, my neighbor's got one that's in full bloom yeah, right now. Big, pink, pink, robust bloom. Yep. Yeah. The, a lot of the cactus have started to bloom. Um, hedgehogs, myokatia at home starting to put on some flowers. Um, I see some prickly pears starting to bloom. Of course, swirls would be here pretty quick. The white winged doves are back, so they're just waiting for those swirls to bloom. Um, and the yellow, the the Palo Verde bloom. We oh, had Palo Verde. We were in Tucson. Was that just last weekend? Driving down to <laughs> yeah. for the Saba Home Show, and from south of you know when when the town breaks at Phoenix, um, just shortly after, like from Riggs Road to Casa Grande, and the median is just exploding, and then mm-hmm. it kind of takes a hiatus through Casa Grande and Eloy and Picacho, but then you get down coming from Moran into Tucson, and again the the yellow Palo Verde is just a, a sea of yellow exploding. And it's Ooh. it's beautiful, and it's kind of bittersweet because you know the heat's coming, but you got to enjoy <laughs> the beauty while it's here. We're in a neighborhood the other day walking, and the gutter was probably six inches deep yeah. with Palo Verde blooms. Pal- Palo Verde <laughs> snow. What's the Palo Verde that, that blooms like a string of pearls? As opposed, I mean, it's, it's long stems of just... Well, the Desert Museum, the hybrid that we call Desert Museum, has got kind of long pendulous growth on it, and it can it gets kind of a long. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the one you're saying. That's a that's a pretty tree. It, it is a it is a beautiful tree. It can it can be pretty weak when it comes. It's, it grows so fast oh. that we see a lot of breakage with it. Um, so make sure you're keeping it. You know your cultural practices. You're not letting it get too long stemmed or you're not opening it up and making it be real whippy looking but uh yeah it's it's a it's a fabulous tree and it's thornless which is why everybody really likes it so much easier to trim and maintain than yeah uh arizona native that's got long thorns or we've got uh another call in line i don't have a name uh on the backyard Hector. Hector, welcome to the program. How may we help you? Yes, sir. How you doing? Good. How are you? Um, pretty good, pretty good. My biggest question is because we've lived in our home for about five years now. 
Um, it's always been dirt in the backyard. We were going to do stuff with it, but obviously after everything happened, you know how that goes. Um, we, uh, we, she, my wife wants to like a pergola water feature, you know, flagstone put in the backyard, just make it all nice and, and homely. But my biggest concern was I obviously have weeds in the backyard and the dirt. I need to know where or who I could speak to to actually get the knowledge to, to prepare the dirt. And, you know, do I put pea gravel everywhere or what do I do first or what's my first step to go from dirt to making it, you know, nice in the backyard? I'm, I'm sorry, where, where are you calling from? From Santan Valley. Santan Valley. Okay. Um, you know, I would probably pop up to like Desert Horizon Nursery or A&P Nursery. And, and get with those guys and see, you know, if they have a, you know, landscape division or a, or a landscape consultant that might come out and help you out. I, you're, you're doing a pretty extensive project, and I would sure recommend that you get it designed. Um, whether you do it all at once or stage it out, um, you want to make sure everything goes in the right place and everything's planned accordingly and, and that you have the right ground covers and all those kinds of things, and you get to see some choices and and see something on paper first. So and it's a big investment. Um, so I I would consult with some professionals first that can help you plan it out. Now those are the two uh, garden centers that come to mind in your neck of the woods down there that I would go visit and see what they recommend. Both locally owned. Yep. Independent re- retailers. They're going to have the plants that are going to do best in Arizona. Not knocking, you know, chain stores, but a lot of times they might order for the whole Southwest, and the Southwest could lump in parts of California, and they've got plants. Yeah, and, and the big thing is also getting them to recommend if they don't have one on staff, somebody that can help you plan it, because you know he lives in Santan Valley, he most likely has a pretty big lot, and you know he's talking pergolas and water features, and you know so. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of mistakes made on where people put things and what they think is a great idea ends up being a disaster. So, I'll tell you who I've come to really respect. Romy is the man you had on that turns every yard into a food crop producing mm. space. I'm never going to go to a landscaper and get a master plan without consulting with him. The agriscape concept. Master plan, the pergola, the water feature. But I want somebody with an experienced eye to say, oh, this is where a hedge of artichokes would go, and this is where you would plant your garden. And That's, uh, a, that's a good idea. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm really, the older I get, the more reluctant I am to plant anything that I can't eat. No, and, <laughs> and there's a lot of options for that. So. Yeah. Whether it's even just citrus or fruit trees or, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah. So, but, but get it planned out so you yeah, put those yeah. fruit trees in the right place. So. And, Hector, the concept Rosie's talking about, agriscaping, was brought locally by a guy named Justin Rahner, and he's in your area. I'm not sure if it's Santan or Queen Creek, but he's, he's out in that southeast valley. Um, you can just go to his website, agriscaping.com. And talk to him as well. He's and he, most of his stuff is going to come from those local nurseries as well. Anyway, there's uh, I can't remember the name of the wholesaler out there next to him to Mesquite. Uh, no, no, it's Tucson. Yeah. Uh, well, in 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 Santan, it's it's right around the corner from Desert Horizon. Uh, V and P. 
great no. big growing nursery there. Do, do they have the walking showroom through all the desert natives no. and the masonry? Uh, no. Uh-uh. Aridscapes? Maybe. That's it. But those are wholesale, wholesale nurseries, right? and they're not going to let you any just anybody walk in. So no, but if you've if, if you've got a landscape a contractor partner, that can take you there, yes, absolutely. They, they've done an incredible job with that place. Yeah. That's that, that's a really good sign of or a really good example of what mm-hmm. a native landscape can look like yes, and how they, beautiful they have it can a de- be. good demonstration area. How much time did you spend in the pool in Phoenix in the summertime? Well, we didn't have a pool, um, but uh, in spite of that, uh, probably a lot. My grandma had a pool. The neighbors had pool. We'd go to the public swimming pool all the time, took swimming lessons at the old Scottsdale pool, which isn't there anymore. It was behind where Scottsdale Stadium is. Um, But the older you got, the less you really— then it was naturally more, just wanted to go jump in, even if you were hot. It seems at least for me, the older for a while till now. Now <laughs> it's if I'm doing yard work, it's or sometimes when I get home in the summer, it's the I tell, I tell people there's usually a a trail of clothes from the front <laughs> door to the back door going to get jump in the, the pool. pool. <laughs> but that's all I do. It, it could be a cattle trough. I mean, I jump in, get wet, sit down, and and then get out. I don't swim and play Marco Polo or anything anymore. <laughs> we talked earlier about eliminating water use outside by eliminating portions or all of our lawn. One Tempe couple who are past their stage of swimming regularly, they turn their pool into a garden. And I know uh, there's a number of people that have done this. And it would take a long time for you to get a return on your investment with <laughs> everything that it takes to retire a pool and drill it out in the drainage and developing and putting the infrastructure in for a new garden. But if you were in a tight lot and you had a pool that took up a lot of your backyard that you didn't really use or you didn't use it enough to justify keeping it up year after year after year mm-hmm. after year for the yeah. week or two that you spend in the summer in it. There's these little short people. That there's a reason I keep my pool now. They come visit. They, hopefully, they come visit us frequently. But uh, <laughs> keep it for the grandkids. That's, that's that's I've I'd have filled mine in a long time ago. But if it weren't for like now, nah, I can't do that. Got to have something for them to do. Coming so, coming in play. Well, yep. They use it like they have one at home too. But they do. Uh, and man, they can get in the coldest water. Those little kids can swim in cold water. Man, I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I I can't do it. But some of the interesting things with a pool is you can tear it. And the, if you need something that needs a special microclimate or shade, you know, going down lower in the pool, if it's canopied by two or three other types of plants above it, and it's something that never gets shade, you can really experiment with a lot of other vegetables you otherwise couldn't just stick in a row garden or a planter. Just bed. make sure if you are going to eliminate your pool you do it properly uh, one of the biggest nightmares in my gardening landscape career with a very dear old customer at our mesa location 
had somebody demo his pool. And about two years later, he called me out and said, man, everything is dying. And I went out there, and you step on the ground, and you could hear it squishing. And I asked him, I said, did, did they not purge the bottom of this? Or, oh, I don't know. Well, as it came out, they did not. And he had to have everything ex- re-excavated uh, and take it out, and they had to break out the bottom. And so, yeah, make sure you do it. Do it. There's guys that that's kind of what they do. I have some grading contractors that do a lot of that, and they know how to do it and do it properly. And, you know, depending on what you're going to end up putting there, make sure you do it right. We've even got a partner deck over that will just build a deck so you can use it as a sitting area or expanded well, flat and, surface for your backyard. And some do it so that you can reconstitute the pool if, if you know, from a resale standpoint, you know, so that you don't ruin it. Right. So depending on what you want to do, Make sure you think it out and do it properly. Well, we appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. Our big topic of today was transitioning uh, from winter to summer lawn, if you have those. And we also talked about just going, starting from uh, no winter lawn and bringing in Bermuda and then just completely retiring it all together. If you're looking to reduce your water consumption, you'd also mentioned uh, for the caller who had just started a planter and got great soil, but it's soil, but it still needs the nutrients and the fertilizer. Make sure you fertilize, you're planting the right things for uh, your climate in Arizona, no matter what part of Arizona you're in. Absolutely. And, and you know, getting back to retiring the lawn, at least in Scottsdale, I believe they have to come out and take pictures and measure it first before you do that and verify how much you're taking out so that you get the proper credit. So don't just take it all out and get it and then call and tell them you did it. You know, with it, I think there's a process, probably the same with other cities. So maybe Good point, that. good point. That'd be pretty disappointing to get that yeah. all done and then find out you, you didn't qualify on right. a technicality like that. Correct. Well, that's – and check with your local city. We don't know how – which all of them? I just know from the guys. That I'm have kind been of surprised studio. they don't all, but and they may all have some kind of program. But um, I, I would think they would. But yeah, double check. And would I that would, just be the one? That wouldn't be the one-stop shop where you get your permits, would it? That would be. Uh, they have a water. You know, it's like Scottsdale has a water services division. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a separate. Might deal. be where you pay your water bill. Start with them. Bill Kassenheiser. I said. I assume Bill still doing that i was thinking about doing it and thinking about doing it and then when i saw a 135 foot water ring around lake powell and city of scottsdale was going to give me a dollar a square foot to get rid of it that's all i needed there you go <laughs> that's all Absolutely. that the final tipping that, point. That, was, that was the tipping point i said all right let's do this good for you all right coming up it's rosie on the house we switched to home improvement and our on the house topic talking air conditioning today